As they are going out, I'll uh, give you a page number you can turn to if you're using the Bible that's provided there in the pew. The reference is Lamentations 3, but the page number to find it is page 818, 818. And I'm going to let the children go. Um, I wanted to just take a a moment. We want to have a time of prayer, uh, kind of, um, well, a time of prayer right now. Uh, there's a church in Stewart, Virginia. It's one of our sister churches, the uh, SBCV. And um, uh, a young lady, a, a high schooler in that, in that church, uh, had been out shopping with her boyfriend. on her way home uh, right around Christmas. And um, it was at night, and they were hit head-on by a drunk driver. Um, she is uh, very severely injured, a fractured skull, pushed her skull back into her brain. And uh, she's in a coma. Um, they say that when people go and pray, pastors go and pray, in the name of Jesus, she tries to raise her hands. So there's, some, uh, there's something uh, there. Um, but uh, as the church post updates, SBCV is reposting them on their, uh, I guess, Facebook uh, thing. I, I'm not on Facebook, but I've been told. And I want to pray for that young lady. And if you were one that was going to come pray for two hours, I'm really talking to you. Please pray for this girl. Um, and uh, if you did want to come pray two hours tonight, I got a job for you too. But, uh, but her name is Lauren, L-A-U-R-E-N, Worley, W-O-R-L-E-Y. And uh, if you would lift her up this week in prayer as you think about that, um, jot it down, write a bit, put a reminder somewhere that you might pray for her. But I want to leave, not only for this service, but I want to pray for Lauren and her family uh, just in this moment. So if you'll bow with me in prayer, let's pray together. Lord God, in Jesus' name, uh, we, we step into your presence the only way we can, by the authority and the power in the name of Jesus Christ, because in his name he said we could ask you anything, Father, and you would hear us and you would give the answer. And so, Lord God, today in Jesus' name, we ask for Lauren Worley. We ask that uh, you be with her. Uh, Lord, it seems that um, you're still there while she's in that coma. Uh, we don't understand that. We, we, nobody knows what you do in those moments. Um, and so we're just asking right now, I pray for her parents. Um, I know that they are uh, tragically hurt. Lord, we pray for the young man, the boyfriend. Lord, it seems like he was not severely injured, and we thank you for that deliverance. We, we pray for the one who hit them. Um, that uh, obviously needs your salvation, that you would touch his heart and life, and that uh, through this, uh, he might come to know you as well. We pray for Lauren, and we ask God that you um, obviously do your will, but God, also that if it be your will, we, we request that, Lord, you would heal her completely, totally, and make this a miraculous healing that uh, will confound all doctors and educated people that would say that that can't happen. Um, but Lord, whatever is your will, we trust you, we rest in you. We just ask for your mercy and grace in this moment for, for this family and this church family and uh, all of us. But God, now we are here together in this service, and we need you here as well. Lord, thank you that you are omnipotent, but you're also omnipresent. You're everywhere. Your spirit is indwelling the believer and the church that uh, is, is met together in your name. And so we ask that you would guide us and lead us. Lord, I am not smart enough, wise enough, or articulate enough to do the job you've given me to do. So therefore, I pray, God, that you would do it through me. Um, That, uh, Lord, you would have your way today. 
And by what we say and do, Lord, your will will be done in our life. We would draw closer to you. And those who don't know you might uh, come to know you. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, thank you. And uh, today, uh, it, it seems as a day, sorry, just got to take care of this so I don't make noise while I'm talking. Um, it seems like today is the day, everybody's a little bit tired. Y'all tired? So, yeah, all these holidays kind of kind of wear us out. And this isn't the first day of the new year. This is the last day of 2023. So, uh, so it's kind of neat. We get to go to church on the last day of the year. Uh, I think that, uh, well, we could do it anyway if we wanted to, but today it just happened to make it convenient for all of us. And so I, I, I pray that you are uh, taking the, the new year seriously. Uh, I, I brought one of the Bibles we're ordering up here to remind myself to talk about, but Corey did a good job. I don't need to say anything. And, uh, but so next week will be the first Sunday of the new year. We look forward to that. But today, uh, I, I just want to kind of bring us up to what, I'm calling it a new beginning. What, what might be happening for us uh, in the new year. Uh, just being here today is, is as I said, a, a real blessing. And as we start thinking about the new year, I, I don't know, when, when I was growing up, I don't know about you, but, but every year it was a big deal to make New Year's resolutions. We used to write them down when I was a kid. Um, and then for a while I would make them and not write them down. Now I just don't think about it. <laughs> I take that back. I, I do, but... You know, if in July something hits me, I'm not going to wait till New Year's to start doing it. We ought to always be examining our relationship with God and how we're living our life and changing as God leads us in the middle of it. But, but, but it's interesting as we think about New Year's resolutions and those things. There's some interesting statistics out there and facts. Uh, I, I'm not going to give you details, but one of the ones that catches my attention uh, because I participate in it. Uh, is that every January, gym memberships go sky high. Like, um, and by the way, if you don't know, gyms make money on you paying them and you not going. Because uh, if everybody signed up, nobody, else, nobody could get in. It'd be so crowded. But, but they say in January, explodes, they're crowded. And by February, it's back to normal. And the, the, the crowds have kind of drifted off. But um, we make all kinds of revolutions. We, we make them about our diets. Uh, we make them about how we live our life. Um, and one thing is reading our Bible. I'm going to read my Bible this year. And that's one reason I, I'm trying to encourage you in that with this Bible. It's not, um, I just discovered this Bible. It's from Focus on the Family. Um, it's just a way for us to fellowship with one another. Uh, you know, if, if you get that and you start doing it and somebody you know is doing that, you might talk to each other about like, hey, what did you learn this week? What did God show you this week? You can just uh, discuss that with, with your friends. So that, those are some things we do. And and people always talked about turning over a new leaf. Y'all, y'all know that phrase, right? Does everybody know that phrase? Because it won't make any sense if you don't. Everybody knows that. Well, where that comes from is, you know what you call a page in the Bible? It's a, or a, a book, any book. That's a leaf. And so turning over a new leaf means this one's all filled up. You turn it over, you got a blank place to write. But when I was a kid, I thought it meant taking a leaf and turning it over. And so I used to say, well, if you turn a rotten leaf over, it's still rotten, right? And, you know, and so that doesn't lend itself to the real meaning of that, of that term. But without Christ, our hearts are deceitful and desperately wicked. And we have no strength in ourselves outside of Christ to maintain our better goals. But God's mercies are new every day. 
If we make a resolution January 1 and then that's the end of it, we're not going to do anything about that. But if every day we are bowing before God and realizing his mercies are new every morning, then that will help us. Here's a statement. I hope you can take this home with you. That every day is a new day of mercy, but it's also one day closer to judgment. Now, I've, I've come to call this my bathroom counter lessons because I learned these things sitting on the bathroom counter watching my dad shave and him talking to me. Because he shaved and took a shower after work when he got home about 5 o'clock. And so between him getting home and supper, I'd sit up there and he'd talk to me. And I did not realize until I got older and started reading my Bible, about 90% of what he was saying were quotes out of the Bible. Because he read his Bible constantly. And one of those was, son, every day you live is a day closer to your death. Now, you think that's heavy for a five-year-old. Maybe it is, but it helped me a lot. And that's what I want you to understand. We are all marching to a day of judgment because we, we're kind of blurry about this, but there is a judgment for believers as well as a judgment for the lost. So when we go to judgment, it's not for salvation, and we'll look at what it is for right here this morning, but, it's a, but it is a judgment over how we've obeyed God and, and what we do and the result, the, the deal with it is God will destroy the stuff that is no count and he's going to reward us for the stuff he did in us. Because if you do anything good, it was God in you, not you. Right? Yeah, we were talking about that in our Sunday school class this morning. That, that it's God's righteousness in us. It's, it's the Holy Spirit living in us that does anything good. So therefore, we can't really take credit. But when we yield ourselves to God, he is such a gracious and merciful and loving and generous God he rewards us for that. But I got a surprise about that later. I want to share with you. But I want you to look here at the page I ask you to turn to. Lamentations. And it's chapter 3 in verses 22 and 24. And, and thank you Pastor Andy. He, there's a hymn based on this. We sang the chorus of this. A little bit of it today. But look in, with me in Lamentations chapter 3. And begin in verse 22. Uh, it says. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. Now, if you don't know, Lamentations was written by the prophet Jeremiah. Jeremiah is known as the weeping prophet because he lived amongst the wicked people. They're going to be carried away into captivity. God told him they would. And Jeremiah is weeping for his nation. He's warning them. And as he brings God's prophecy to the king, the king would listen to the page he just read, tear it off, throw it in the fire, and then listen to the next one. And so Jeremiah never saw God fulfill that. And he was burdened, overburdened his whole life. And he writes the book of Lamentations. In the middle of it, he says, God is a merciful God. His mercies are new every day. Can you imagine being living in that kind of a negative place? I mean, 2023 was... A negative year, but it was also a great year. We, if you are paying attention, there's a lot of stuff going on that is not good or, or is showing some, some uh, approaching things that God is up to. But at the same time, we've seen God at work. We've seen God doing things amongst his, his people and his believers. And as we look at just this passage at first, I, I call this point just God's mercies. As, as we look at that, we see... We have a new, every day we have a new opportunity to be thankful. 
the very first verse that I read, verse 22 says, The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. Those words, steadfast love, it's a word. I, I keep telling you this over and over because I'm learning more and more about it as, as I look at it. But it is a word in Hebrew that is all through the Old Testament. But it's translated many different ways because it means so much. You can't limit it to something narrow. It means everlasting love, everlasting mercy, everlasting uh, help. Ever, you know, God is great. It, it just goes on and on about God's love for his people and, and how, he, how, he, how he relates to us. And here Jeremiah writes, his steadfast love never ceases. Never is an absolute word, isn't it? I, I believe when the Bible speaks absolutely, it's absolute, don't you? And he said, How, when will God's mercies cease? Never. If they will not cease never, how are you going to get them after you're dead? <coughs> Trick question. If you're a believer, you're not going to die. <laughs> You've already died. And the life you now live is the life of Christ living in you. That's Galatians 2.20, Right? I'm crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. And I, but Christ lives in me. And the life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So in heaven, his mercies will never cease. Say it with me. Never cease, right? So we can be thankful every day. Lord, today you're going to show me your mercies. Now, those mercies may not look like you expected. Because as humans, we paint a different picture than God does, don't we? Our idea of greatness and perfection and all that is no trouble, no worries, everything's fine. But God's idea of that is whatever you're going through, I'm going to be with you. And this is, it's going to be a rough ride, but boy, at the end it's going to be something you look back on and go, that was awesome. Right? And so when we're in the midst of those troubles and struggles, just like Jeremiah was, we can say God's mercies are new every day. They never cease. And then we can be hopeful, not only because they never cease, but they never come to an end, and they are new every morning. So if today was the worst day of my life, tomorrow morning I can get up and go, hey, it's a new day. God's mercies are new today. And I can have hope that today is going to be better than yesterday. I can have confident expectation, which is how the Bible translates the word hope. I can have confident expectation that today God's going to have his way, and he's going to have his will, and it's going to be great. And so we can just hope in that. And if it's not, go, well, not today, but maybe tomorrow. Because every day it's new. Every day is a new day, a new morning. And then thirdly, I see here that we can be expectant. It says there in verse 23, not only they new are new every morning, but great is his faithfulness. I can expect God to be great all the time. The Bible says God is good and what he does is good. And God is having his will in your life. And you say, not my life. You don't know what a mess it is. Well, a good God only gives you good things. And that mess is intended to help you look more like Jesus and depend on God more. Which is a good thing. Right? It's a different perspective about what God has for us. And so if his mercies are new every morning, his faithfulness is great. He is with us in all of these things. We can just be expectant and, and, and hopeful. And then the last thing I would say about this is we can be obedient. Jeremiah writes in verse 24, The Lord is my portion, says my soul, therefore I will hope in him. Instead of going off and, 
And as, as some of us are, are tempted to do, have a pity party or go off and give up on God because things aren't going exactly like I think God ought to have done them. Do you realize when we do that, how, how many of you are parents or have ever been a parent or still are a parent? <laughs> yeah. And, and your children ask you for stuff and you know they don't, that would be bad for them to have that and you t- don't give it to them. And they all say different levels of frustration and they get angry at you. When we look at God and go, I can't believe you've just abandoned. Wait a minute. You, you don't think like God thinks. You're not, you're not in the same mindset as God. And I can tell you this, just a child being angry at you is no excuse to be disobedient just because he's upset with you. Right? You can obey in your anger. <laughs> and you can be angry with God. You can tell him because he's big enough to handle that and he'll help you through that. He'll help you figure that out and say, God, I'm really upset with you right now. And they go, Really? Well, let me help you out with that. David said, David said, God, why are the wicked prosper? And then I went to church and I saw their end. And I said, oh, <laughs> those wicked don't have a great ending, but we do. No matter what we're going through here in this life, we have an expected end. We know where we're headed. We know where we're going. We know what God's going to do. You know what that's based on? I'll tell you what that's based on, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. If you could disprove the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we'd just go home. Fold your Bible, go home, because it's all a joke. Paul said, if the resurrection isn't right, then we're of all men most miserable. But it's a provable fact. It's the most provable fact of history, in fact, that Jesus lived and died, was buried, and he rose again. And because he rose, because he lives, we too will live. And so every day we can... We can be obedient to God knowing that when it's all said and done, he's going to take care of it. Second thing, those are God's mercies. But second thing is, God has an expectation of us. And I want you to turn to, in your Bibles, to Philippians. And I got a page number for you there as well. It's page 1166. 1166. It's Philippians chapter 3. And it's verses 13 through 16. Philippians chapter 3, 13 through 16. I quoted, I think we read Philippians last week or week before. This was Paul's thank you letter. He wrote in jail to the church at Philippi that was paying the rent. So he didn't have to be in the dungeon. He could be in a house, but he's still in jail under, under Roman arrest. In verse, beginning of verse 13. Well, let me back up to 12 just so you get the context. Not that I've already obtained this or I'm already perfect, But I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Then verse 13. Brothers, I do not consider that I've made it my own, but one thing I do. Forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have obtained. Here Paul is letting us know that he's not complete himself yet. You see, here's another, here's another bathroom counter reality. If you're alive, God has expectation for you because you're not in heaven yet. My, as you know, I've said it often, my dad had an a, a accident on his motorcycle back, way back in 1949. Back then didn't know much about what to do and put him in a coma for a month and semi-conscious for another month 
And when he woke up, he said, the only reason I'm alive is God spared my life. And from that day on, he realized every day was precious. And, and this is something else that he was quoting the Bible to me, and, and I didn't get it. But every day, we can hold fast to God because he's in control. I, I want you to notice a few things about these verses as well. First of all, we have to forget what's behind. I, I, I read this verse so much when I was a kid, growing up, my dad talking to me about it. And I was all the way up late in my education. I was in my early 20s. And, uh, and at a chapel or something, and I, I, I don't remember who the speaker was, but he used this verse. And he said, Paul said to forget what's behind and then he said, that includes the good as well as the bad. I never had that thought in my life. I just thought it meant, yeah, you made a mistake, shake it off, go forward. No, he said, forget everything. You know why? Have you ever gone to visit a church and they had a model of their building program and a chart on the wall and it was from 20 years ago? I have. And I looked at, well, one was a friend. I said, why don't you get rid of this and get a new dream, man? That one's done. It's been done for 20 years. Why are you still looking back at it? We all do that, by the way. Me too. We all do that. We look back and go, boy, those were the good old days. Man, I, I wish we could do that again. Forget that. God did that so we could, he could do the next thing. But we like this so much, we just stop there. Like, that was great. God obviously can't do anything better than this. Let's just hang out here. Well, no, he might have something new for you now. Because his mercies are... New every morning, right? So tomorrow we wake up, forget what was back there. Now, we can let defeat get in our head and, oh, bring us down. I, I'm very susceptible to that. And when you mess up as much as I do, it's, it, that could be deadly. So you got to forget that. But you, you have to also say, God, thank you for what you did. Let's do some more. Let's go greater. Let, let's see if we can increase that. Do you know people are still setting world records? Did you know for years and years and years and years, decades, they, men tried to break in running, running a mile in less than four minutes, and nobody could do it. And then finally, this one guy, I forgot his name now, but somebody will tell me later, he broke the four-minute mark. And do you know hundreds of men have broken it since? Because the first guy showed it could be done. Maybe God wants you to be the first person to show what God can do next. Right? And then everybody will come along and go, oh, you mean if we just trust God and obey him, it can happen again? Yeah, sure. But what happens? Wow, we did, we did more than we thought. Forget that. Let's do it again. And do it again. And do it again. We ought to always be looking forward. Some of you today, you might have experienced a lot of loss this year. I, lately, we, we've seen that. I, I know that's happened here. We've lost loved ones. You may have have lost in finances. You may have made some bad decisions or had some things that gone different than you thought. Some people here, you might be struggling with a secret addiction or a secret sin that people would be shocked to find out it's true in your life. Or maybe you had some good stuff this year. Maybe you got a new promotion at work or a new job or you're making more money than you ever made or, or you got a great relationship or your relationship has been renewed with someone or or God has just blessed you by bringing someone new into your life. And, and you're just excited over that. Or maybe you broke one of those bad habits. Maybe you said, man, I used to do this and I quit this year. And it's been awesome and God's been doing great things. All that's wonderful. Or all that's really sad. 
But forget all of it and look forward. Paul said here, one, one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind. If, if you're running for that goal, looking backwards, you're not going to get there. You're going to go off track. You're going to slow down. You won't make it. It's got to always be new, always in front of your eyes, always moving toward that. He said, I press toward the prize. Look at what he said. This one thing I do, verse 13 again, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. I can promise you this. In this life, you will never achieve everything that God has in store for you. Because it takes heaven to give us everything. If he gave us everything he's got for us now, he'd kill us anyway. So he trickles it out to us so we can grow. When we brought our first baby home from the hospital, we did not cook her a steak. But she grew into it. <laughs> right? They all do. And so God is giving you what you need for now. Take it, make the most of it, and then look forward to what he's going to give you tomorrow. And we are growing in his grace all the time, over and over and over. And the prize is to know Christ, to love Christ, to, to make him the center of everything. And that takes not only forgetting what lies behind, but getting rid of a bunch of junk that keeps you from Jesus, right? Janice and I didn't travel these past two weeks. And she started finding things that I should have cleaned up a long time ago. <laughs> so we've been real busy. We've both been doing that. I'm, I'm putting it on myself. But we, we just said, we got to clean this up. Man, we did. And, and uh, we're, it was just it's so wonderful. It's, oh, it's great. We can enjoy what we have now because we got rid of all the stuff we had that didn't, we didn't need. Not all of it. Still got a long way to go. By the way, 3 o'clock, my house, you can help. But no, I'm kidding. <laughs> you come to my house 3 o'clock, I'm likely to be asleep. But anyhow... We need to keep pressing forward over and over and over again to attain to Christ. And the third thing I want you to see, and this is the negative part of this. And it's not negative. The Bible uses the motivator for us. It uses, uses this. This is when we preach through Peter, First and Second Peter. He's used it over and over and over and over again. He says, you're coming to heaven. Heaven's on, on the horizon. Jesus is going to come back. You're going to heaven. Let that motivate you. Let that help you. And this is... Uh, what part of that and this is God's reckoning because all of us will have a day of reckoning with God and that's on page 1147 you're already in the neighborhood it's just 20 pages back if you want to use this Bible the reference is 2nd Corinthians chapter 5 2nd Corinthians chapter 5 and beginning in verse 9 and again I'm, I'm kind of jumping in the middle the context um, in verse 6 through 8 is we be always of good courage we know that while we are at home in the body we're away from the Lord for we walk by faith not by sight yes we're of good courage and would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord and then verse 9 so whether we're at home or away we make it our aim to please him the him there the antecedent is Christ the goal of our life is to please Jesus Christ that's the goal of Paul's life, and he says it ought to be the goal of your life and my life, that we please Christ. Then look at verse 10. Because, mine says for, for or because, or pay attention to this, we must all, and what does the Greek word all mean? All. All is all, and that's all all means. 
We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that, here's why, each one may receive what is due for what he's done in the body, whether good or evil. God is going to take care of what we did in this body at this judgment. And so, he's telling us, let this motivate you. And it, and it goes on, therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord... Oh, I'm sorry, that's, that's another reference, just through verse 11 here. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. But what we are is known to God, and I hope it is known also to you. Notice what he says at the end. Knowing the terror of the Lord, knowing what we're going to face, I want to persuade men. I want men to know Christ. I want men to grow in Christ. And so we're going to be judged for what we've done in our body, whether good or bad. You say, well, how does that look? And I get it. This is 2 Corinthians. Paul gave the description of it, of how it works in 1 Corinthians. So if you want to look back there, uh, in, in 1 Corinthians, uh, I'm sorry, yeah, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 9 uh, through 17. And there it says, for we are God's fellow workers, and you are God's field, God's building. According to the grace of God given to me like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation, and someone else built upon it. So Paul is saying that he was an apostle. He laid a foundation for others to build upon. But then he says, let each take care how he builds upon it, for no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Christ Jesus. So Paul's not saying he's the author of the foundation. He's saying, I brought the foundation and laid it for you. He brings the foundation of Jesus Christ to people because that's where we all start, right? Knowing Christ. And you may be sitting there going, I thought when I came to Christ, that was the end of it. No, that's just the beginning. That's just the foundation. I, I'm not a builder. I'm not very crafty. I'm not, I'm not a good builder, and some of you are. Uh, but I know this is true. You can't build a strong building without a strong foundation. Right? If, if you do, it's going to sink. Just leaning Tower Pisa. You can go look at that. It's built on a marsh. <laughs> and so here Paul tells us how it's going to look. Beginning in verse 9, chapter 3 of 1 Corinthians. He says, For we are God's fellow workers, you are God's field, God's building, according to the grace of God given to me like a skilled master builder. I laid a foundation and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it, for no one can lay a foundation than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, or straw, and he pauses, each one's work will become manifest, which means made known, for the day, capitalized, will disclose it. What's the day? The day of judgment, the day of, God, of Jesus' return. Because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. Fire tests all other elements. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he'll receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he'll suffer loss. But notice what he says. Though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. In other words, you become a believer in Christ, and you truly do. And I don't know how you can become a believer in Christ and not obey him. I really don't. Because he doesn't leave you alone. He's going to always be goading you to obedience. But if you manage to come to know Christ and you don't do anything, well, you get to heaven, but that's about it. 
You say, well, isn't that enough? I don't know about you, but if I were playing a game against you of some sort where we kept score, and I don't like to play games that don't keep score, even if I lose, and I'm beating you, I'm going to attempt to bury you. I'm not going to give in. I'm not gonna quit. I, my son played high school football, and they got whooped so bad one day. I, I mean, and, well, it was every week, but this one was particularly bad. <laughs> you know, small Christian school playing football, it just, you know, it gets ugly. So we get in the car to go home, and I said, son, that, I can't believe that other coach, that other team just kept running up the score like that. I just don't think they should have done that. He said, don't you do that. Don't you take pity on me. If you're going to beat me, you beat me good. I was like, okay, <laughs> you know, awesome. You know, that, you're right. He was right. He didn't want them to take sympathy. He wanted to, he wanted to try to beat them, and he didn't want them to give up trying to beat. That would have been insulting to him. It'd be insulting to God if he did all this for us and we just went, oh, yeah. And so we build. And at the end, our works will be tested by fire and only the good stuff remains. The wood, the hay, the stubble, like it's burned up. It's the gold, the silver, the precious stones that is left. And if you only build by the bad stuff, that gets burned up and you'll be saved. But as... By fire, he says. But then he says in verse 15, if anyone's work is burned up, he'll suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as by fire. Do you not know that you are God's temple? That God's spirit dwells in you? Listen to 17. If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him, for God's temple is holy, and you are that temple. There's an interesting thing in here that you cannot see in this version of the Bible or any English version of the Bible except the King James. The King James, the, the, the old one that we think is the old one, it uses two different words for you. One is plural, thou. One is plural, I mean singular is thou. Ye is plural. And ye are holy. This in Greek, you can tell difference this is plural. It's talking about the church. We are his body. Now, does he live in each of us individually? Absolutely. But does the Holy Spirit live in the body of Christ, which is the church? Does he? Does he? Yeah, let's, get, let's give a Bible yes. Amen. Yeah, of course he does. This is his body. Now, doesn't mean everybody's on the roll and everybody in the building's a Christian. But God knows whose are his, and that is the body of Christ. Those who know Christ are his body. And here he warns us, if you destroy that body, God's going to destroy you. Ooh, wait. I thought we could fuss and fight and carry on in church. I don't think so, Tim. That's not what God's all about. He's all about us being a body and working together to please and honor God because his mercies are new every morning and his, 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 his ways are beyond finding out. We can trust him and we can rejoice in him because we want to have something to give back to him when we get to heaven, don't we? When we as a group of believers known as Calvary get to heaven, don't you want to see some gold and silver and precious stones how do we please him? By moving towards him. You know, 
Janice is good at asking. I, I talked to her about the sermon, and she asked me questions I can't answer, and that just drives me nuts, but it helps me think. She said, what does that look like? How, how do I know I please God? So I had to think that through. And here's what I came up with. We all want a list of do's and don'ts. But that doesn't work. In fact, God gave us a list of do's and don'ts, and he gave it to us to show us that doesn't work. No one except Christ has ever kept the Ten Commandments. You with me? You with me? But that's how we think. That's what, just tell me what to do or tell me what not to do. But I'm still not going to do what I ought to do. And I'm still going to do what I shouldn't do, right? Because that's human nature. That's who we are. But Christ came to redeem us of that to give us the power to obey him. And so we need to move toward Christ. It boils down to three ways of love. Number one, they asked Jesus, what is the greatest commandment? In Matthew, he said, in Matthew 22, he said, to love the Lord your God with all your heart. With all, that's your emotion, with all your soul, that's your spirit, and with all your mind, with all your strength. That all that you are, love God. And then he added to it, he said, and the second one is like the first one. We love God, but we love our neighbor. Because if we love God, we're going to want to get to know him. And how do we as believers get to know God? Through his word. By reading his word. This is God's love letter to the believer. And if you don't understand God's word, it might be because you're lost and you're reading somebody else's mail. But if you get saved, this becomes God's love letter to you and he opens it up. The Holy Spirit who inspired the writers to write lives in you to help you understand it. That'll be a big thing we'll teach about starting in two weeks. But, but if we love God, we're, go, we're going to want to know what he said and what he, what he tells us. And so Jesus commanded, he, he said, here's what it is. You got to love God, then you got to love your neighbor as yourself. Because if we love our neighbor, we'll good do toward him and we won't do anything to harm him. Right? And that begins to fulfill, the first one fulfills the first four of, of the, the Ten Commandments. To love the Lord your God, to not have idols before him, don't curse him, all those things. And then the rest of them are man-centered. Don't covet, don't lie, don't steal, don't kill, don't cheat. And if I love my neighbor, I won't do any of those things toward him. I won't steal his goods. I won't steal his wife. I won't, I won't hurt him. I won't kill him. I won't cause anything bad because I love him. And the third way he called us to love, in John, Jesus said, I give you a new commandment. Not just those two, but here's a special one for those who follow me. Love your brother. Because when you love your brother, that's how they'll know you're my disciple. Jesus said that you can spot a disciple of Jesus not by a list of do's and don'ts. I I, I got caught in that culture at one time. And the clothes I wore and the music I listened to and the length of my hair determined whether I was right with God or not. And one day I realized that God did not give power of grace to the barber or the tailor, or the musician. He reserved that for himself. And he said, love your brothers. That's how people know you're my disciple. And think about that. If you love your brother, you'll stand with them in adversity as if you were in that adversity with them. You will pull alongside them, and if it kills you, you will hang in there with them. The Bible has a good word for this, a Greek word. Here's the Greek word, koinonia. You will hear that. People like to throw that word out, but A lot of times we don't even know what it means. It's a word we use for fellowship, but the word literally means to live together with. 
It, it means that we together go through life. And when there's struggles and when there's problems, we don't abandon ship. We just go through it with each other. We love each other to that point. And Jesus said, that's how they'll know you're my disciples. That you don't give up on them. That you don't quit on them. That you stay with them. So what about all those goals and resolutions? We got to understand, if you're going to make a resolution, just insert God in each one of them. Why do I want to be healthier at the gym? So I can be stronger to serve God here. Why do I want to eat the right food? So I can be healthier to serve God here. Why do I want to seek him and his word? So that I can know him more. Every resolution ought to be God-focused. It ought to be about him living through us. And we don't do anything for ourselves. That every action we take is because we love him and want to please him. And by the way, those crowns that we may get at the judgment. In Revelation 4, it talks about the elders. I'm convinced, I could be wrong, that the elders are the 12 sons of Jacob and the 12 apostles. But I could be wrong about that. But here's what it says in Revelation 4. The 24 elders fall down before him who is seated on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. And they cast their crowns before the throne saying, Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things and by your will they existed and were created. So whatever your reward is, when you see him, you go, that wasn't me. That was you. Here, this belongs to you. And we're going to give it back. So I just got a simple question. It's not going to be on the screen. Tomorrow begins 2024. How will you love God each day? How will you love your neighbor each day? How will you love the brothers and sisters every day of 2024?